0: Elias, Elijah, Messiah.
1: Joseph Smith tells us there is a difference between the spirit and office of Elias and Elijah. The spirit of Elias is to prepare the way for a greater revelation of God. The spirit, power, and calling of Elijah is that ye have power to hold the key of the revelations, ordinances, oracles, powers, and endowments of the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood and of the kingdom of God on the earth. And to receive, obtain, and perform all the ordinances belonging to the kingdom of God, even unto the turning of the hearts of the fathers unto the children, and the hearts of the children unto the fathers, even those who are in heaven. Messiah is above the spirit and power of Elijah, for he made the world. Elijah was to come and prepare the way and build up the kingdom before the coming of the great day of the Lord, although the spirit of Elias might begin it. The spirit of Elias is first, Elijah second and Messiah last. Elias is a forerunner to prepare the way, and the spirit and power of Elijah is to come after, holding the keys of power, building the temple to the capstone, placing the seals of the Melchizedek priesthood upon the house of Israel, and making all things ready. Then Messiah comes to his temple, which is last of all. There is the spirit of Elias, the spirit of Elijah, and the spirit of Messiah these three great spirits unfolded in the work of God, in the generations of man, in a steady descent. Like a chiasm, they will again unfold, inverted, and return in an ascent, so that at the end, it will be as it was in the beginning. Father Adam prophesied, Now this same priesthood which was in the beginning shall be in the end of the world also, Genesis 3, paragraph 14. This scripture shows Moses quoting Enoch, who was, in turn, quoting Adam. The Spirit at the beginning was the Spirit of Messiah. Adam dwelt in the presence of God. Adam represents that original fullness. Adam was the first man. Adam received instructions and spoke to God face to face. He dwelt in a temple setting called Eden, from which he was cast out, but he dwelt in a temple. Therefore, Adam represents the Spirit of Messiah. Secondly, the spirit of Elijah is represented by Enoch who, when the earth was threatened with violence and men were to be destroyed because of the wickedness upon the face of the earth, was able to gather people into a city of peace and to have the Lord come to their city of peace and remove them from the coming violence and destruction. Enoch is a type of the spirit of Elijah because it is the spirit of Elijah that ascends into heaven to prefigure the return of the spirit of Messiah in the last day the spirit of Elijah is needed to gather a people to a place that God will acknowledge, will visit, and will shield from the coming violence at the destruction of the world. And so Enoch becomes the great type of the spirit of Elijah, although the name of Elijah is associated with a man who lived later. Elijah would likewise ascend in the fiery chariot into heaven. He duplicated, among a hardened people in a fallen world, the same achievement as Enoch accomplished, albeit Enoch did so with a city, and Elijah did it as a solitary figure. It will be Elijah and his spirit that, in the last days, will likewise prepare a city for salvation and preservation. Lastly, there is the spirit of Elias, represented by Noah, wherein everything that had gone on before was lost. Things began anew, and Noah had a ministry to preach repentance, to preserve what had been taught before and was lost. Noah, as the messenger or the Elias, bears testimony of what once was. Before the Lord's return, these same three spirits need to come again into the world. These will complete the plan Adam described in prophecy. It has always been in the heart of the Lord, from before the foundation of the world, for the fall of man to be reversed. Man will return through the same stages as man fell. The spirit of Elias, declaring the gospel, will come again into the world and has returned in the person of Joseph Smith, in the message he delivered, in the scriptures that he restored and in the message and practices he taught. No matter how short-lived his message was, he laid a foundation in the spirit of Elias. Without Joseph's ministry, we could not now move forward. Elias, and the spirit of Elias, came through Joseph Smith into the world. Man has yet to take the spirit of Elias seriously enough to move on to receive something further. There are only two processes. The instant one process ends, the other begins the first process is restoration and the second is apostasy. There is no pause between them. Either there is an active restoration underway, with greater things revealed constantly, or there is apostasy, and light is lost. It is impossible to preserve light. Without an active connection to the living vine, there is only death, see John 9, paragraph 10. Joseph was a restorer, and when he died, restoration ended. The moment Joseph and Hiram were killed, the world began to lose light. The pace at which light is now being lost among the various Mormon sects has accelerated. But a new restoration has begun, and a new dispensation of the Gospel has opened. Whether the light now offered will achieve anything more than came in Joseph's time remains an unanswered question. The Lord cannot force anyone to receive him. He can only offer. We must accept. This generation is now facing a crossroads in which it is possible to continue the work and move forward. Moving forward successfully, however, will require an acceptance of the spirit of Elijah. This time, the spirit of Elijah is not coming to prepare a people to ascend into heaven, but instead to prepare a people so that those who come will not utterly destroy them. There must be a people prepared to endure the burning that will come. Just as Enoch's people were prepared, shielded, and then worthy to ascend, so as to avoid destruction by the flood, the Spirit of Elijah must prepare people to endure the day that shall burn the wicked as stubble. The Spirit of Elijah will gather people to a place of peace, to be the only people who are not at war one with another. C thirty one fifteen. They must be people willing to accept the Lord's teachings and allow those teachings to govern their daily walk, with each other and with God. Being eager to receive commandments. Not a few, and also revelations from the Lord is what the people of Zion must necessarily be willing to do. Elias for our day is, I believe, Joseph Smith. I expect Elijah to return the same way he departed. That's one of the great assignments to him. He must return because he will reopen the way through which others will follow. It will be, I believe, the same person as departed and not someone who self proclaims or self identifies as being Elijah. It will be him. Not another. Anyone making that claim would, to me, at least, be someone who does not understand the scriptures and is not to be taken seriously. Elias is the spirit and assignment of a forerunner who goes before to prepare the way. He lays a foundation for what comes next and is the one who commences to restore what has been lost, a recoverer. Elijah is the spirit and assignment to reconnect heaven and earth. He who unites realms and initiates man's access to ministering angels in the Church of the Firstborn by opening the Stairway of Ascent, an Axis Mundi or Columa Lucas, into Heaven. Messiah is the Presence of the Lord.
0: Endowment
1: A ritual instituted by Joseph Smith in Nauvoo, Illinois that was later finalized by Brigham Young. It presents a symbolic account of the creation of the world, including Adam and Eve. The ritual uses Adam and Eve to portray the moral experience of every man and woman. The ritual takes initiates to converse with the Lord through a veil, preliminary to entering into his presence. The Lord questions the initiates to determine if they obeyed, sacrificed, were chaste, and consecrated their lives. After appropriate answers are given to the Lord, they are permitted to enter into his presence. A reduced version of the ceremony is still presented in LDS temples. The ceremonial ritual was to be housed in a temple still under construction at the time Joseph Smith was killed. The temple rites he restored in Nauvoo, Illinois reaffirmed that God is accessible. The rites claim that by obedience to God's commandments, every man and woman could receive further light and knowledge by conversing directly with the Lord through the veil. Joseph wanted God to be at the center of every Christian's faith. The temple ceremony explained that man could approach God directly and thereby avoid being darkened in their minds by depending on another man.
0: And the
1: A Name for Christ As he said, I am Alpha and Omega, Christ the Lord, yea, even I am He, the beginning and the end, Joseph Smith History Part 17, Paragraph 2. See also the glossary entry, Names of God in Scripture.
0: Endure to the end.
1: And now my beloved brethren, I know by this that unless a man shall endure to the end in following the example of the Son of the living God, he cannot be saved. 2 Nephi 13, paragraph 3. Enduring to the end, or the fixed purpose to always serve God so that you may always have His Spirit to be with you, is essential to salvation. You claim this is your determination every time you take the sacrament. Whether you take this commitment seriously or not determines whether you are destined for salvation or not. It also determines if you are qualified to receive His personal ministry and comfort. The Lord also knows whether it is in you to endure to the end. Whether the end has come is irrelevant to Him. He beholds all things, past, present, and future, 2 Nephi 6, paragraph 7. Therefore, He knows if you are willing to endure to the end before your life is complete endure to the end, meaning both here and in the hereafter. It will be a great while beyond this life before any will reach the end he desires all to attain. Therefore, enduring requires one to fight against all that opposes truth, for so long as he is allowed to participate in the battle, not passively, taking in what is wrong and showing tolerance for it, but instead actively standing for truth as long as he exists, here and hereafter. How long must the enduring last, if it is to result in eternal life? It will be a great deal after this life before you have learned enough to be saved. You need to endure then, as now, for eternal life to be yours. Nephi tells us that his words persuade men to endure to the end, which is life eternal, 2 Nephi 15, paragraph 1. See also the glossary entry, and the
0: Eternal
1: Life The definition of eternal life was given by the Savior and recorded by John, who wrote, Jesus spoke these words, and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 9, paragraph 19. To know God is eternal life. To know God, in the fullest of the sense in this life, is to receive the second comforter. Of course, it is possible to have knowledge of Him through faith and without the second comforter, as well.
0: Eternity.
1: That which is without
0: beginning or end. Eve.
1: The parable of the creation of the woman differs from the creation of the man. She was not formed from the dust of the ground. She was formed from a rib, from an already existing part of the man. She was born from something equal to him and able to stand beside him in all things. But the parable about the woman, Eve, means a great deal more. She was at Adam's side before the creation of this world. They were united as one in a prior estate when they progressed to become living souls with both bodies and spirits. They were sealed before this world by the Holy Spirit of promise and proved true and faithful. They once sat upon a throne in God the Father's kingdom. In that state, they were equal and joined eternally together. She sat beside him and was a necessary part of his enthronement. Her introduction into this world to join her companion was needed to complete Adam. It was not good for him to be alone. They were one, and therefore, Adam without Eve was not complete, or in the words of the parable, not good to be alone. Like the man Adam, the woman Eve was the spirit offspring of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. But unlike the man Adam, who was the physical offspring of Christ, the woman Eve needed to be the physical offspring of God the Father and God the Mother. Eve was Adam's sister in spirit. Eve was also his physical aunt. She needed to be a direct descendant of the Heavenly Mother in order to be endowed with her Mother's creative abilities. That power belongs to the Mother. The fertility of Eve, and thereafter of all the daughters of Eve, came because of the power given from direct descent from the Heavenly Mother. Women descend from Mother Eve, who was born the biological daughter of Heavenly Mother. Women descend from Heavenly Mother to endow them with her creative power of fertility to bear the souls of men. Eve was not beneath Adam, nor subject to his rule, when first created. Eve was put beside him to complete him and be his helpmeet. There was another condition required to enable Christ to lawfully redeem the daughters of Eve, as well as the sons of Adam. The Parable of the Creation includes this step to put Eve under Adam's responsibility. The account explains that Eve, and by extension her daughters, was put under Adam's rule. Adam was handed responsibility and accountability for Eve. These are the words in the parable, Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Adam was made accountable to rule in the fallen world. All the mistakes, mismanagements, failings, wars, and difficulties of mortality are the responsibility of the appointed ruler. Adam would not have been accountable for Eve unless she was made subject to his rule. Once under Adam's rule, the redemption of Adam became also the redemption of Eve. Therefore, Adam and the sons of Adam, and Eve and the daughters of Eve, were all rescued through Christ's atonement for mankind. The parable continues with another allusion to Heavenly Mother, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, for thus have I, the Lord God, called the first of all women, which are many. Genesis 2, paragraph 18. One of the names of Heavenly Mother is Eve. She was the mother of all living because she was the one who mothered the spirits of Adam and Eve and was therefore, parent of them both. Out of respect for her, Adam called his companion by the same name as the Heavenly Mother. Redemption of all mankind, male and female, required Adam to descend from Jesus Christ. It also required Adam to rule, or be responsible to teach, all those in his dominion. That role, assigned to Adam, was in order to extend the legal effect of Christ's redemption to Adam, Eve, and their posterity. However, for women to bear the souls of men, Eve had to be a direct descendant of Heavenly Mother. See also the glossary entry, Adam.
0: Exaltation
1: To become like God and inherit celestial glory. Elevation to the highest degree in which all powers are increased.
0: Excess. Wealth. An
1: explanation in TNC 46, paragraph 4.
0: Extortion.
1: To compel the poor. An explanation in TNC 46, paragraph 4.
0: Eye of faith.
1: First one sees with an eye of faith and then by the eyes themselves. The faith to see precedes seeing. This is set out in the following passage and there were many whose faith was so exceeding strong, even before Christ came, who could not be kept from within the veil, but truly saw with their eyes the things which they had beheld with an eye of faith, and they were glad. Ether 5. Paragraph 3. Development of the faith to see within the veil comes after having first seen with an eye of faith. Unless a person sees these things through the eyes of faith as a necessary first step, he cannot behold the real thing. The one qualifies for the other. The one is a necessary precondition for the other. God has created mortals in such a way that they must progress in these things, from grace to grace, before they can receive the fullness. If they cannot first see the type in faith, nothing doubting, then there is no reason for the Lord to send the real thing. That would be sending a sign to produce faith, rather than having the sign follow faith. When someone accepts the type as the real thing, and drains from it all of its symbolic meaning, then there is no reason to withhold the real thing any longer. Then come the signs that follow faith. That is the process irrevocably decreed before the foundation of the world. If a man or woman conforms to it and receives the types in faith, then he or she will grow from grace to grace.